And here's the verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll come back to it. But this is verse 20. Speaking of the people of Noah's day, those people who refused to enter into ark, to the ark, it says they disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, Noah and his three sons and their wives, so that's eight, his wife, um, eight in all, were saved through water. That phrase really intrigues me. It doesn't say they were saved in the water, they were saved in spite of the water. It doesn't, it says they were saved through the water in the construction in the text of the, in the, in the, <clears throat> the construction in the original languages uh, by means of an agency, but it's through. They were saved through water. I picture when I read that verse, a boat, a big ship that's plowing through the ocean and uh, the waves are hitting up against it and sometimes maybe they're so big they practically make the sucker disappear. But when the wave finally comes back down, there's the prow of that boat just coming. It's still coming straight on. It's, it's coming through the water. It's in the water. The water, sometimes it's under the water, but it's just coming right through. And, uh, <clears throat> and through the water... And because of the water and what that enabled that boat to do and what enabled the, the circumstance to be, it says that they were saved. They were saved through water. <clears throat> so I'm not going to be in Genesis really here today, but in this passage in 1 Peter 3 that refers back to this amazing event that we've been thinking about and this man and his family who saved the world, who saved the human race, who represented Jesus Christ or prefigured Jesus Christ in his salvation to us. And this particular phrase about it is that water was the element. We've talked about the ark. We've talked about the dynamics of the flood. We've talked about the security of the ark and the saving ability. But this now is talking about the element that was trying to destroy the ark, and that did destroy the world, the water, but they were saved through it. And somehow or other, this water kind of had a dual function that cut two different ways. Um, I was just thinking about water, and you, some of you know more about water than I do, so I'm not going to try to go into the dynamics, but all of us know how precious and invaluable and absolutely essential water is. I was thinking about this. It seems like Whenever scientists want to know if there's a possibility of life on some other planet, maybe they've sent up a probe to Venus or Mars or wherever, and they're trying to figure out, is there any possibility that this place could support life? What do they look for? Yeah, they always, one of the first things they do is they they try to look for signs of water, just simply because they figure if there's life uh, that's anything like ours. It's probably based on water. It's probably uh, water is essential to it as it is to us because water seems to be part. Water seems to be what it is that makes the universe work in the way God and made and way God made it. <clears throat> and water for us. In, in so many ways, from the makeup of our physical body to the world in which we live, to the air that we breathe into our lungs, in so many ways, 
water is the environment of it all. We've, we all understand what a high percentage even our own human bodies are of water and so many different things that enable us water creatures uh, or, or to survive, even though we don't live in the water, it is necessary for our life. We're subjected to it and we are limited by it. If there was no water, there would be no life as we know it. We know in the book of Genesis, in the very first opening salvo of the whole entire Bible, that it says that the world was water. And the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. What does it mean, the deep? What, are, what, are the, what is the implication of that, the deep waters? And then we're told that dry land appeared up and out of the water. So the water was here first. And the water was the, the dominant element out of which our world came. Jesus explained, uh, not in great depth, but used water as an as an a, he used water as a, a description of physical life, of physical birth when he talked to Nicodemus. I want to just go there for one second. Jesus was approached by this guy, Nicodemus, and Nicodemus said, you're, you're pretty cool, brother. Uh, the stuff that you do, nobody can explain it unless God's doing it through them. So we're pretty sure that you are from God. You are a teacher from heaven. We're pretty sure of that. The implication is we don't know what to do about it, and we don't understand exactly what you're doing here, but we're impressed. And Jesus said, well, Nick, it's like this. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't even know how that would be possible. I'm an old man. It's impossible that I could be born again. And Jesus said, well, it's like this. There's water birth. And there's spirit birth. You must be born of water and of the spirit. Now, people have had different thoughts about what he means by water. Some think he was referring to baptism. And that the baptism that, that symbolizes the internal spiritual birth is just tied in together. So you need to be baptized and you need to, have, you, you need to ha be saved and baptized as a symbol of it. I don't think he's talking about baptism at all because Jesus goes on to elaborate just a bit further. And it's a parallel statement. He says you have to be born of water and the spirit. And then he goes back and says, look, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. That's parallel with the water. Spirit gives birth to spirit. That's parallel with the spirit. So it seems to me that Jesus is talking about the human birth. He just, instead of saying you have to be born of a natural fleshly birth, he uses the term water. It's, it, I mean, we all know the baby is enclosed in a sack of water and all that stuff. But this is just how Jesus referred to it. That water is our fleshly birth, and spirit is uh, the realm in which we contact God and are born in a different way. Here's a different, uh, trans here's a different uh, expression of that same idea. It's in 1 John 
in chapter 5, near the end of the New Testament. And uh, this one, again, has different ideas, and some people interpret it differently than others. But I'll give you my spin on this and my understanding of it. John says, this is the one who came, he's talking about Christ, this is the one who came by water and blood. The Spirit testifies to it, it's true, and all these elements agree, and he mentions three, the water and the blood and the Spirit. We accept the testimony of men, but God's testimony is greater. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in their heart. Somehow, spirit didn't get underlined, but there's three things here mentioned, water and the blood and the spirit. And so, it seems to me that he's, he's making this statement, that Jesus was born like we are all born of water. It's just a, an expression that to us, in our world, we don't use, but they did. It was the physical, natural, human birth. Flesh. Flesh gives birth to Flesh. Had to be born of water, Jesus said. Jesus was born of water, but he makes possible a birth of spirit by his blood. And so he's simply using these three terms and these three different elements to tie together this, this transaction that we all have to enter in and go through to become a Christian, to become saved, to become a child of God. And we are, we are born once of water, we have to be born of spirit, and this is made possible by the blood. Now, what First Peter says, chapter 3, is that this water that Noah came through prefigured, if I could say it that way, baptism. Which is, we know, going down in the water. That's what baptism is. Um, it seems to me, this is my... This is my this is my opinion, that the Bible in the New Testament doesn't really give us a systematic teaching about baptism. There's just bits and pieces here and there about baptism. And I'm going to mention some of them in a moment. Uh, it would be nice if somehow it had said, okay, on page 400, now about baptism from A to Z. Here's everything that you need to know and need to understand about baptism. But that's not how the Revelation of God came to us. It, was, it didn't come as a systematized theology. It came as letters. It came as, as, as commands and conversation and so forth. Um, so there isn't a whole lot of information about baptism in the New Testament. It's just bits and pieces. By the way, I would like to do a baptismal service uh, three weeks from today. So that would be June the... Uh, 15th, 18th, June the 18th, um, I, we're going to do it in the second service, so if you or anybody you know is interested in being baptized, please have them ask them if they would come and talk to me, um, and uh, see what we can put together for that Sunday, but it will be in the second service, and this is for logistical reasons. Um, if there's any of you who is, is interested in baptizing, we'll, we'll do it right here in our, in our baptismal here. Um, <clears throat> baptism is a sign that something new and different has happened. I've entered a new world. I've walked through a door into a new life, a different existence, a different master, a different attitude. All that stuff is symbolized somehow or other in baptism that 
a new order has taken place in our life, and baptism is a sign, a signal. It is a sermon that involves no words. That's what baptism is. The word baptize in the, in the Greek language, baptizo, which is where our word baptize comes from, means to go down under, to go down into the depths of the water. It means to, um, to submerge. That's what the word means. So there has to be uh, water. Otherwise, how are you going under something if there's nothing there? That's the idea of it. Um, I want to mention three people who we know referred to and talked about baptism to some degree. And the first one is John the Baptist, John who's called the baptizer. And his story is told in the Gospels. And we're told three things about him and his, his uh, baptism. The first one is that he called people to repent. He said, look, you go down into the water unless you repent, that has no meaning. This is about a change of direction of your heart. That's what repentance is. But this is also signifying what God has done in regard to your repentance or in response to your repentance. Repent for for the forgiveness of sins, John said. And also, John tied this in with what he called a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And he said, all you know about is the kingdom of earth. You've been raised where there's nothing but air and land and water. And you're going to go out into the water because this represents a change. You're usually on the, on the land breathing air. But you're going into a different territory, a different medium. People don't usually go into the water. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about all the way into the water as they, as they do symbolically a baptism. So John was emphasizing a new order, a new kingdom. He talked about the kingdom of heaven. The, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Be forgiven and be baptized. This is what John had to say. Paul, in his understanding and baptism and his, his words about it, in Romans 6 especially, he took a different tack and, and used a different word picture. Paul said, you know, I am really reenacting what Jesus did when he died. I'm buried with him. You remember how Jesus was buried in the tomb. Paul said, I'm buried in the water. Jesus came to an end on the cross and he said, it's finished. And he gave up his spirit and he died. Paul said, when I go into the water, I give up my whole life and I die. I basically drown. I go all the way down out of the sight and you don't see me anymore for a second. If I didn't come back up, I would be dead. I would drown. But I do come back up, and that is a reenactment and a referral to when Christ, who they thought was dead and gone forever, came back out of the tomb on Easter morning. And, and, and Paul says, I'm buried with him through baptism, and I'm raised to new life when I come out of the water. So that was the symbol that Paul used. And then Peter, in this passage that I'm reading, read earlier, said, well, it's about, it's a picture of being washed, being cleaned. 
When you go into the water and shower or the bathtub or a lake or a pond or a sink or wherever, or wash basin, you're trying to get rid of dirt. And you go in there and the water washes it all away. And Peter said that's a symbol of baptism. That's how baptism symbolically, what baptism symbolically declares. That with all the filth or all the mistakes of my past or my history, it washes it all away. It cleans me up, makes me presentable, and makes me acceptable to God. And Peter talks about our conscience. That means basically all the things that I would have, I would have to make a list of if God said, why should I accept you into heaven? Or why shouldn't I accept you into heaven? And I could list off many reasons why the Lord should not accept me. My conscience needs to be cleaned. My, I need to have a new lease on life and a new look at things. But, but here's the... Uh, so, so to back up for a second... John talked about change. This is their, their emphasis or the focus on baptism. John talked about change. Paul talked about dying. And Peter talked about being cleaned, cleansed. Three different perspectives, that's all. They're all correct. They're all valid. It's just they, they had different angles upon this reality of baptism. And here is, again, this verse that talks about how these people, how these people were saved. But I, I, I want to I, I tie this with Noah, as Peter does, by explaining it like this. Baptism is a symbol or a sign of our being saved, right? That's what we just read. Peter says Noah... And the water that floated the ark and the water that covered the world was a symbol of baptism. So, I know this seems very involved. Baptism itself is a symbol. And the flood was a symbol of the symbol. But that's what we're told. That's what it says. That long before Christ and John the baptizer were present, there was already a symbol of the water and someone being something being submerged into the water and yet coming out the other side. When you think of how certainly it seemed as if those people in that ark would perish, but when you think what it was like when they opened the, de- the door to a new world and all that past was gone and all those people were gone, and everything they knew was gone, and they were entering into a whole new order of life. And the water had, this was, this was by passing through the water. And so they were saved, it says, through water. Are we together? Okay. What is, what is the, what do the waters represent? I'll just mention three things here. And this is a symbol, or this is a tie-in with baptism. We don't physically become a new person when we are baptized. But 
we are stepping away from, we are br- making a break with our past life. If a person who is continuously vo- involved in a sin, in, in, a, in, a, in, in, a, in some immoral or sinful uh, style of life, and they get baptized, and they don't break with that or step away from it. Something's wrong. Something isn't made clear. Something isn't understood. Because uh, that's what the symbol of baptism is. That's what happened with Noah. The water was a threat to his life. The water cut off all contact with his past life. And the water represented a choice for every single person. They had to make a choice of what they were going to do about it. They had to make a choice because the water was coming. The water was going to inundate and destroy their world. And they had, to, they had, they had one choice, and that was the, you know, there, there were no alternatives. Today we speak of alternative lifestyles and alternative this and that. When Noah built the boat, there was no alternative. You get on it or you're done. You know, we probably aren't that strident about baptism. We don't say, well, if they aren't baptized, they're they're lost. But it is something that we're called on to do, we're told to do, and we're expected to do. Of course we believe that it is possible that someone could be saved, even if they are not baptized. Baptized. We often hear about the thief on the cross and people who are saved in just the last moments of their life. And, and I rejoice with all that. <clears throat> but that doesn't change the fact that while we're living and we have our minds and we have our conscience, this is what the Lord has said. Here's the ark. Get on it. So that it can save you. Here's Christ. Follow Him. Yield to Him, be loyal to Him, love and serve Him with your heart and with your life. So, to, to kind of bring us back together and, and to an end, I, I, I just want you to realize how real Noah was. I want us to think about that. He didn't avoid, he didn't pretend. I've talked to people about being baptized. And they say, oh, yeah, someday I will, I'd like to do that someday. Well, what about now? Well, let me think about it. Someday I will. I've, I've had that conversation many times with individuals who somehow or other just seem to think that as long as they think about it, it counts as if they had done it. Well, people could sit there and think about getting on the ark all day, but let me tell you, it was it's not the same as getting on the ark. So, Noah and these sons and daughter-in-laws and his wife, they didn't think about it, they didn't pretend about it, they didn't hope, they just got on the ark because they knew that the waters were going to destroy. Having said all this about baptism and having read what Peter said, how these men, these people... Uh, how these people were saved through the water, which symbolized baptism, which saves us, I need to just throw up this caveat. Help us to re- remember one thing, that it is not baptism ever. 
in any way, shape, or form that does, it's not the ritual of baptism that saves anyone. That's particularly why our church, through its history, and I in particular, uh, have, have not baptized infants. Because I don't want to ever have someone growing up and thinking, well, I know that I'm saved because I've been baptized. I know many groups do baptize infants. But I think that the message uh, and, the, and the symbolism of baptism is pretty strong. And therefore, I think that, as Peter said, we should believe and be baptized. And therefore, it is for people who are old enough to understand and old enough to mean what they, what they say. We're saved by Christ always and ever. By grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God. It is, our salvation is through Christ. We're not saved by baptism, but I know I'm being technical and I'm splitting hairs here, but we're saved through baptism. So, I know you think I'm done, but I'm not quite. So, just get awake for a second here. This will be short. Peter says a very strange thing in this passage about Jesus dying and Noah and the flood and the baptism and the water. He talks about Jesus' death. In the body. And then he says this. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I, I, want, to, I, just, I want to close with bringing this together. He was made alive in the spirit. After being made alive in the spirit, he's talking about, so he's in, put to death in the body. So I take this. There's different interpretations of this. I'm going to share mine. I take this to be talking about the time when the dead body of Jesus is in the grave. This three-day period, Friday night to Sunday morning. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. This is quite a mouthful. And it's quite an amazing picture to consider. This is what I understand, this is my interpretation or understanding of what Peter is actually saying. I put this there in a box in your sermon notes. And that is that the Spirit of Christ went to the place called Sheol in the Old Testament, sometimes translated hell, a place where the departed spirits of the dead went. It's called here a prison. Because they were not immediately in heaven at that time prior to the death of Christ. They all just went to this realm which the Old Testament presents as being lost and being just barely aware, if anything, of your existence. Sort of a shadow, a realm of shadows, which is kind of the meaning of Sheol. And everybody, whether you're a good or bad person, they all just went to this place because... They were awaiting an event that they didn't even know anything about. They were awaiting the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, who would be incarnate and come into our world. And He, in His Spirit, went to that place, the realm of the Spirit, and there He declared to them, the word is caruso, which means to preach, to exhort, to, to exclaim, he, this, this translation uses proclaimed, proclamation. He proclaimed to them something 
I suppose, and I believe, he's proclaimed what he just did. He said, I just died that you could be released from this prison. I just paid the price for your sins. I am the ark, and you can get in me, and I will take you to safety. I, will take you, I can take you out of prison. Did that ever happen? Now, this sounds fantastic. It's, I mean, this may seem to some of you, if you've never heard this, it may seem more than weird. But it seems to me that this was the opportunity in their lives, long after they had lived their earthly life, for them to have a presentation of the gospel and for them to be able to make a decision whether they would be saved. Because uh, all this Old Testament stuff, even those who followed it, they weren't really saved by it. It was put on hold. It, they, their sins was covered over. That's what the word atonement means. But Christ gave them the opportunity to receive his finished work. Did any of them respond to that? Well, I want to take you to a verse in Ephesians 4 where I think it's talking about this exact same event in the same place in the same circumstance. And it speaks of Christ descending to the lower earthly regions or the lower parts of the earth. Some people say, oh, it's just talking about the incarnation. When Jesus came out of heaven, he came all the way down here to lowly earth. But... There's a phrase in here that I don't think it applies to that. Some people say, oh, it's just talking about when he was buried. Because he went down into the hole in the ground. He went down into the bowels of the earth. He, he was. It's not talking about a region of the dead. It's just talking about when Christ was buried. Same answer from me is that it doesn't explain one phrase in this verse. The third option is that when it talks about the depths of the earth or the heart of the earth or the lower regions of the earth, it's a picture of the realm where the dead people were, all the way from Adam up to Jesus. And Jesus descended there, went there, as Peter said, in a spiritual form. And he proclaimed to those people, this is your moment and this is your message and this is your opportunity. Other people are going to get an opportunity to go to heaven and you deserve and you will have this same opportunity. So what happened there? Did anybody respond? Did anybody get on the ark of Jesus that was offered to them? Here's what it says in Ephesians, and it's requoting Psalm 68. But it changes some of that quotation to make a point about Christ. When he ascended, now first it talked about he descended, but when he ascended, when he left that region where it says they were in prison, he led, he led captives in his train. I love that phrase. These people were in prison, they were captives, and he led them out. He led behind him a train, a, a group of freed captives. Not everybody responded, just as not everybody got on the ark. In fact, hardly anybody on the earth got on the ark. I don't know how many, and we'll never know here, but... Some responded to Christ and he took them out of the realm of the dead and he took them to the realm of the life, of life in heaven. And he emptied hell of some of its contents, of some of its souls, and he took them with him to heaven. This happened during the interval when he was in the grave. And so it says he descended, and this is the same one who ascended, but this little, this little description that he took somebody with him when he ascended. People who had been captives, and he gave them gifts. This is, I think, I believe, talking about what happened when Jesus was in the tomb. Um, 
And it's in this same passage when it, where it ties it in with Noah. And it says, these were the people, you know, those stubborn, hard-hearted people back in Noah's day. They didn't believe Noah. They didn't respond to Noah. They didn't get on the ark. They didn't understand the full implications. And their bodies were drowned. But Jesus shed to them, or spread to them, and preached to them the message of the cross. So that the, point, the reason that I want to bring this in is it makes it, it helps us understand that God is not unfair. And just because of where you live in history, some get a shot at heaven and some people don't get a shot at heaven. The Lord has made the message of the availability of eternal life available to everyone in the past who came before Him. And He uses us to make it available to people in this day and time because He, uh, he wants all men to be saved, it says, and come to a knowledge of the truth. It won't happen, but that's what He wants. And baptism is a, a tremendous symbol of that. Father in heaven, we, there's so much we don't understand. But we realize that the water is a powerful symbol to us. The water can be negative and positive. The water can drown us, but we can be saved through that threat of that water. And so that the water itself represents death, but we come back up out of it. And what a joy to, to, to think of and understand this symbol. And, and to respond to it and say, yes, I want all to know. I want everybody to see and understand. I don't want to be hidden. I don't want to be guessed about. I want to go down into the water and let all see and understand that I follow Christ. Give us, to, give us today um, an, an understanding and an appreciation of that, that we can somehow work into the, the depths of our own life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.